um, a lot of people are waiting to kind of die and get back to that feeling of home. So my theory is that that home is actually can be here. If you contemplate it enough, you'll find out that what you're searching, it's like a fish in the ocean looking for water. Hello, and welcome to the Richard Listens podcast. It is I, Dr. Richard Olberger, and I am here today with another podcast, another story of resilience and overcoming. Oftentimes, the clients I meet, the guests I have, have been through profound, life-changing experiences, sometimes confronted with relationships ending, health scares, and other transformations of that nature. Today, my guest, Mr. Kevin Roth, is one such individual. Kevin Roth began to play the dulcimer in 1972. At age 16, Kevin recorded his first album for Folkway Smithsonian Records. Between 1974 and 84, Roth recorded 10 albums with this label, establishing himself as a prominent folk singer and dulcimer player. In 1984, he performed the theme to PBS TV's children's show, Shining Time Station, which brought him to another new and much larger market. His friendship and collaboration in 2006 with Noel Paul Stuckey of the legendary folk trio Peter, Paul, and Mary further cemented Roth in American folk history. His career took him to a concert and symphony stages around the world to festivals, radio, television shows, and to two appearances at the White House. As his career grew, Roth became professionally and financially successful, winning numerous awards and partnering with prominent companies such as Sony, National Geographic, PBS, Random House, and Time Warner. Kevin was faced with a sudden diagnosis of melanoma, melanoma, and it changed his life. He had a choice to accept the consequences of this illness or choose to live, and he chose life. Today, we will learn about how we learn just how to survive, not only just to survive, but to become truly happy and thrive. Roth now guides individuals and groups in the discovery of what really matters to them how to accomplish their goals, and how to handle stress as an essential factor in a healthy life. Without further ado, Mr. Kevin Roth. Hello, we doing this? Well, welcome, Kevin. Thank you for, for joining me on this Friday morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And I see um, you have a dulcimer player on the wall behind you. I do. That's me. <laughs> me and my dog, Bosco. That's an album cover painting I did for my last album the deviant dulcimers just one of my favorite paintings <laughs> deviant dulcimers yes those dulcimer players have been known across history well yeah but no one's as deviant as me at least I <laughs> myself yeah <laughs> so two white house appearances is that true yeah but uh they were only for democrats so <laughs> yeah so yeah you know one of them was very interesting they were i was invited as a I, you know i had a very big children's music career and one of the uh things i was invited for at the white house was the easter egg hunt so i was on a stage with peter paul and mary and sherry lewis and lamb chop and i grew up with both of those all, all those people but i i was really excited to hold lamb chop <laughs> uh, this little puppet uh, so it was, it was a really, it was a blast. And we all have dreams when we want, when we grow up, you know, some is just making it to the White House and others are 
holding like yeah, a child. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. so which presidents did you get to meet? I didn't meet any of them, uh, but they were Clinton. Um, I think they were both Clinton. Yeah, I think they were both, because he, he did eight years, I think. So they were, I think they were both Clinton. Wow. You don't get to meet the president. Uh, uh, it's just kind of one of those things. But you're, you're part of, of, of the experience. And I do believe that they're aware of, like Clinton was aware I was there and what I do and, you know, his wife or whatever. I think everyone has some, something to do with it. You know. Yeah, and, and and how did this all start for you? I mean, was music your passion growing up? Uh, was children's education a passion of yours? Like, how did it all happen? Well, I was born musical and spiritual for some strange reason. And uh, I saw Dulcimer when I was 14. And I got a record contract when I was 16 on Folkway Records. And I did about a dozen records for them. And then I... Uh, I became well-known in the dulcimer world as one of the leading innovators of the instrument. So they called me a genius. But really what it was is that I got a dulcimer and I didn't know how to play it. So I just played it the way I wanted to. So people said, oh, he's doing amazing things. And I was just kind of doing me. Um, but you run with the press. <laughs> and then um, after that, I fell into children's music by accident. Um, and I made a children's recording and I caught the children's music wave and ended up singing the theme to Shining Time Station on PBS and uh, licensing all my albums to Sony Records and Random House and Getting Rich and Famous and all of that stuff. Uh, meanwhile, I was always fairly unhappy, you know, because I thought, you know, spiritually we're all, and I, I'm a life coach now, right? And I use music with that. But I, what I do is I usually uh, thought that fame and fortune would buy me happiness. So I had a lot of zeros behind my bank account and one big zero in front of my mental and emotional awareness. Um, and that didn't last because of the stock market, real estate market. And then uh, I was bumbling along, you know, I was doing okay and doing tours and making records. And that's pretty much all I knew to do. Um, the music business had crashed because they came out with this thing called the internet and Spotify. Yeah. And all the musicians bought into the idea that, Hey, we'll put your music out there to the world. Everyone will be able to find it. Everyone will be able to hear it, but we're not going to pay you shit. And all the musicians not being business people went, yay. So we all got, I think we all got screwed on the positive side of it is that people can find you, but you don't, you have to make a lot of records to get royalties for that. Thank God I, I have 50 of them. So the way musicians had to get paid and made a living now was really through touring and selling their product. But I burned out on that. And uh, then um, something happened. Uh, several things happened to me personally. I sort of went through an existential crisis and ended up with stage three melanoma and a death sentence. I and saw that. Is that, I mean, does that just hit you out of the dark? I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, in 2013, 2014, I think it was, or fifth, no, it's been 15. Um, my uh, father died. My nine year relationship ended. Uh, this little retail business I had almost went belly up. And I left Florida 
um, with my little puppy, and we went to Kansas, where I made actually a new album with Paul, with Peter, Paul, and Mary. And on a routine checkup, uh, they found uh, some melanoma. That's a short version. And then they told me that it was not curable. Uh, they cut out the little part on my nose where it was and a, and a little lymph node. And then they said, well, there's, and then they scanned you and they said, well, okay, so there's no cancer. We didn't metastasize anywhere else, but there's a 70% chance that it'll come back and then you're going to be dead in two years. So that was the reality. And then you, your life changes because there's nothing like a death sentence to wake you up. So what I did is I thought, first, I don't believe any of the oncologists because my instinct was they were wrong and I was right. My second instinct was that there was another way to heal myself and I needed to find an oncologist that was smart and I did and I didn't go with Western medicine and I changed my story. You know, I've been, I've been a great story creator my whole life. At 13, oh, I'm going to be a recording star. And I did that. And then, oh, I'm going to do this. And so this was, no, I think I'm going to live, but I'm not going to do it this way. I'm going to get the hell out of Kansas. I'm going to go to California and I'm going to live my life as a bohemian. And at least if I die, I'm going to be dying in a state that helps you die. In Kansas, they don't do assisted death. You know, they'll sell you a gun to blow your brains out, but they, they won't help you there. So I came to California and... Which is really important, you know, just to stop you for a Kevin, right? This even idea that we have a choice in the story, how we heal, how we respond to illness. A lot of individuals really don't even believe that they have that ability to choose or decide when you're faced with something so overwhelming. Yes. And, uh, you know, as um, personal coaches, well, I, I call what I do creative life design. I create every day who is Kevin. It's it's Kevin or it's Kevin from heaven. Uh, both are an illusion, by the way, but you walk into what you believe. So when you, uh, you know, change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So the vision for me was not to be a cancer victim and, uh, um, but was to go to California and be an artist and be with my dog and, uh, that was it. And then a couple of years after that, someone said, you ought to teach people what you did to change your life. And I said, well, who, what, you know, I had no idea what they were talking about. And they said, well, you should be a life coach. And I didn't know what it was. And I looked it up and I was horrified that there were people that called themselves life coaches. Who were these people? <laughs> these crazy people. Was their credibility, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, huh? And so I said, no, I, I can't do that. That's crazy. You know, call myself a life coach. And they said, no, you actually are one because if you teach people what you did and you're, you're your own living reality and you do this every day and so far you're doing pretty damn well, what's phony about that? What's crazy about that? So I used the dulcimer. I created something called Dulcy Meditation and I hit up some people in the dulcimer community and said, if you're stressed or stuck, or, you know, want to change in your life, but you don't know what to do or where to go, uh, I can show you that initially through the dulcimer. So I got some clients and their lives started to change really quickly. 
And then over the last two and a half years since I've been doing this, um, I teach people, uh, I have clients that are not musicians, but what I find amazingly interesting is that the people that end up coming to me, and I don't advertise this, are people who are, I can't say spiritually lost, but have no sense of spirituality at all. They've got tons of money or they have all kinds of things, but they have like a bad taste in their mouth about religions. And spirituality is like, well, yeah, I bought a self-help book once, but they don't, they don't apply it. And spirituality is really key to getting through everything, really. And it's the interesting thing about spirituality, which people don't realize that it is really tied to quantum physics. So uh, I only teach what I experience. You know, I, I don't take courses and graduate and say, here's my degree. I have to experience it. So I, I don't believe things easily. So when the ancient spiritual people said, uh, you know, in textbooks that uh, the world is empty, it's all an illusion. You know, to me, that was like uh, woo woo, you know, stuff. But then when I read science and they said basically almost the same thing, I went, oh, that's interesting. And then I tried it on for size and it works. So that that's what I end up seemingly to be doing. So did the, the health scare send you on your own spiritual journey? Was that oh, yeah. right down the rabbit hole, right down the rabbit hole? Because I thought if I'm going to be dead, where am I going? And one of the important things when you want to get your shit together, so to speak, is you have to have the intention and the determination to find out. If you're really hungry, you're going to find food. If you're really full, I could take you to the best smorgasbord in the world and you won't eat it, right? So I was really hungry. I needed to know what was going on and ran, what's well, nothing is random, but I happened to watch Netflix one day and saw a documentary on a guy named Yogananda, who was a spiritual teacher. Um, and I thought it was interesting and I watched it again. And then something inside me said, you should look for one of his fellowships. And oddly enough, in the middle of Kansas City, Missouri, there was a church literally across the street from my apartment. So he you love it when that hits you in the face. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't. He didn't end up being like my teacher, but through going to that church and feeling better and calmer, I discovered um, a guy named Ramana Maharshi, who is uh, a sage that is very well respected and something called non-duality and the whole thing started to click for me like in kansas city missouri huh? in, in kansas city missouri in a in a church that's where i saw that's where i found yogananda i thought he only had his stuff out in california or new york i'd never expected it across the street uh but you know it 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 doesn't surprise me because this whole thing is like crazy. Life is one big illusion, truly. But there it was. And I went to his church. I was incredibly scared. I mean, I didn't know what was going on. There was a death sentence at my door. And I walked into his church. I didn't know what they were chanting about, but I felt a relief, a great relief. And when I got back to my apartment over a period of time, I started to Google self-realization and, and spirituality. And then I found an author named Robert Wolf, 
out here in California, and also uh, Ramana Maharshi. And as soon as I read their their work, his work is uh, Robert's work is based on a lot of Ramana's work. Um, I said, ah, that's that's the ticket. This makes absolute sense. Mm. And then I moved to California. And what started to happen physiologically? What start, started to happen to your to the, the health diagnosis? And I mean, did you notice? Well, did, you get, did you get it checked, or did you stay away? <laughs> no, I well. I <laughs> I found a woman on the internet named Prudence Sinclair who had uh, meditated and done certain things to get rid of stage four melanoma, which is almost impossible to come back from. And she introduced me to the concepts of epigenetics, which is really mind-body connection. But um, what I did is stress and inflammation are two of the big leading uh, causes of cancer. So I lost weight by basically cutting out the crap food in my life. And um, I did a lot of spiritual study, a lot of self-investigation. I did a lot of music. Um, and I planned what I was going to do. I said, I'm going to San Diego and I'm going to find an apartment for $1,000, which was like ridiculous, but I did. And I'm going to drive my Jeep out with my dulcimers and my dog. And I'm going to be a bohemian on the beach and write stuff and see what happens. So I did go to my oncologist after a year was up. And uh, I said, I'm going to California. And he said, well, we should do a CAT scan. And I said, what for? And he said, to, to see if anything has appeared. And I said, well, if it has, is there a cure? And he said, no. And I said, well, then why do I want to know? And then he said to plan your life. And I said, what life? Because this past year, that's not been a life. That's been fear. I said, so what I'll do is I'll go to California. And if I cough up blood, I'll go to a doctor and I'll say, oh, my God, you've got two hours to live and I'll be dead. But I'm not living in this state of mind. Forget this crap. There's no cure. And I'm not, you know, I went into um, one of the oncologists that I saw for a, a second or a third opinion he was in a place that uh, had a lot of patients that were on chemo. And it was like walking into God's waiting room. It, it, I, I could not see myself looking like that. Um, I mean, there's going to come a time where we all check out, but it wasn't going to be in my gut that time. So I came to California. The interesting part of the story is the oncologist said, okay, if you don't feel well, you'll know it. And then you need to look into it and then go with it from that. But after a few years passed and nothing came back, because I go to a dermatologist two, three times a year to, to be checked up, you know, for checkups, I realized that um, I was past the, uh, the death part of it so far, you know, after five years. And then it dawned on me that there was no reason to go back to my old way of living or my old way of thinking, because this was working. And that's when I became a, a coach and started to teach people what I do or, or my philosophies or my thoughts or. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So life, lifestyle redesign. <laughs> yeah. Creative life design. Creative life design. Yeah. So yeah. How do you find people? How do they find you? And, and what's it like to work with you? Well, <laughs> well, they find me through podcasts. I've had a few podcasts. Hosts actually become clients. Um, they hear me talk somewhere, they see a video, um, 
and yeah, I see you are on a, quite a few uh, exciting different podcasts. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a podcast freak. Yeah, it seems to be. Um, you know, the, it, the podcasts are very interesting because they're very new. There's a lot of them, and the good ones are hanging in, the other ones are falling by the wayside. But there's, there, you know, it's always interesting to talk like this. You know, because everyone is looking for the same thing, which is happiness. But nobody knows what it is. So they say, if I only had money, if I only had a lover, if I only had a this, if I only had a that, I'd be happy. And I can guarantee you, you will not be happy. Having a lot of money makes being uncomfortable, uh, being unhappy more comfortable. So what is happiness? And happiness is really knowing who you are and living authentically. And that's it. So I have some clients that uh, are, I have one client who's very young and very, very wealthy. I mean, he latched on to this thing on the internet and he went gazoom. And he has no idea why he's even making money. I said, well, why are you doing this? Well, to make more money. Okay, well, what are you going to do with it? We'll make more money. But he's, there's no joy. You know, it's, it's, he's chasing, it's, it's the chase, not the catch. So if you can live an authentic life where you're living within your means, you got your health, you learn to love yourself, you have a relationship with yourself. Um, simplicity is key. I mean, uh, you know, I live a really simple life. I, you know, I could afford more. I, I don't have any use for it at all. I don't drive a big car. You know, I have a one bedroom apartment, but I can close the apartment and go anywhere I want at any time. Right? So, well, and how good is Bosco's, you know, bedding? <laughs> oh, Bosco's, Bosco owns me. So yeah, <laughs> he's a miniature dachshund that takes up a king size bed. I can't figure out how he manages. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you have to create a life you love. So for, for people who, who find me, um, I mean, most of my clients resign, so I'm doing something right. What I look for when I'm working with a client is their face over Zoom when we start, which has one look. And then at the end of the session, they're smiling and they feel relieved. So people are looking for a sense of control. A lot of people are ambivalent, like, what do I want? What, I, what don't I want? So one of the very first questions I ask a client is, what don't you want? Not what do you want? What don't you want? What do you want to get rid of? And then why are you holding on to that? So people think they don't have options. You know, well, you do have options, you know. So I teach them how to find the options. I teach them about balance. I teach them about surrender. Um, um, I also, I do something that I heard is a cardinal sin with coaching, is I share my own shit. You know, I, I'm not a rah, rah, rah coach. I'm like, you know, last week I had the week from hell. I could not believe what happened to me. And this is what happened, but this is how I work through it. So I think that they're still the cardinal sin. I know in therapy, there's big schools on self-disclosure, but um, especially now having put out a book, I, my clients are actually reading it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it, but it's, you know, there's, it, it gives you pause for some a few moments sometimes, but being more vulnerable also allows you to, like you said, exemplify that you apply the same skills 
or have been facing the same challenges at different times. And yeah, I know there's different schools of thought on that that we should be clinical and and not disclose. Uh, and there is truth, right? We want we do want to know why the client is curious about us or what's happening in them. That well, anything that I share with a client has directly to do with them. It's not about me, you know. Uh, you know, I, I had a client the other day who wanted to, uh, who thought she had to be with a relative she didn't enjoy. And I was telling her my experience of learning not to, what I call, step in it. So if I know I'm going to be with the opportunity to be around someone that I don't enjoy, I do whatever I can to not be around them. You know, I don't, I don't feel like I need to be around them, you know, but the old Kevin would, you know, out of guilt or out of whatever, but I don't do any, you know, um, there's nothing like a death sentence to wake you up. Mm. You get rid of stress. You know, I, I was in heavy, heavy debt around that time. And I had credit card companies calling me like a fool. I answered the phone. And I told one lady, I said, you know, I can send you 20 bucks a month. She said, well, the minimum is 69 and we're going to report you to the credit bureau. And I said, well, I'll be dead in a year. So you do whatever the hell you want. Do you want the 20 or don't you? And, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. You know, so she took the 20. So I cut out all that crap because I knew that's what brought on the cancer. And when you let go of what doesn't work and you replace it with does work, you don't go back to what doesn't work. Like I shut my phone off. I don't always have it on. I don't check emails 24 seven. So I live a very kind of, I don't know, I guess you could call it not really a selfish life, but what do I need to do to keep myself in balance and keep myself relatively happy? And that's a key concept that, that comes up in a lot of my sessions, right? Like this idea of being selfish, it's a bad word, right? Like, to, to well, think self-care. ourselves more, right? Better word, right? Like that, that. But even just the idea that that, right? It's selfish thinking of yourself doesn't mean in opposition to others. That's true. Yeah, and you know, I'm a firm believer that I'm not supposed to be happy all the time. It's okay not to be happy all the time. It's okay to be in the middle. You know, it's can you bring yourself out of out of you know the head space that you're in that's not good. You know, the other day, or not the other day, it was really about a month or two ago, I was sitting here and I started to feel lonely. And so that's the mind, right? So the mind kicks in and the mind says, you're lonely. And I, I stopped and I thought about it. And I thought, you've got a great dog. You have music here. You're a great cook. you got a bottle of wine. How can you be lonely? So what are you lonely for? What's missing? And I think I identified what it was. And I said, you know what? Let's cook yourself some decent food and let's listen to some Peter, Paul, or Mary or whatever it was. So I know what to do when the monkey mind comes in and wants to rattle my cage. You know, so every, so you're, you're a doctor, so you know that everything is the mind. And the Buddhists have a great expression, no mind, no problem. So one of the expressions, one of the examples I always use is if you're really upset about something, really ready to kill somebody, and the phone rings, and it's a friend you haven't heard from in a really long time, Suddenly that anger, that, that pressure, it's gone like a bubble. Where did it go? You're about to murder somebody. And now, oh, hey, how you doing? Hey, what, did, what have you been up to? So what's real and what's not real? You know, is the mind even real? You know, there's nothing physical you can hold called a mind, right? 
So that's where quantum physics gets in. They say the universe is expanding, but into what? So what's real, what's worth worrying about, and what's not worth worrying about? You remind me of that, that famous line. Was it was it Radio Days or another Woody Allen film, right? I know he's uh, fallen out of favor, but you know he said, the universe is expanding. And his mom says, you live in Brooklyn. What do you care about the universe? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I love Woody Allen, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, you have to have dark nights of the soul sometimes to, to learn what you need to learn. I, you know, I always tell people there's always hope. And I'm a firm believer that if you need help, there's help out there. There's free help. Call a doctor, call a psychologist, call a help self-line. You know, you don't need to suffer alone. And all of these things are temporary. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you're saying all this and I'm always, you know, obviously not that I ever wish someone to have that kind of painful loss or, or go through something like that. But, but, you know, in my book just released the zero method, I talk a lot about my father who, you know, left us almost three years ago, but his loss of a job on the one, what was a loss of an identity, the man with the suit and tie, the certain degree of wealth or comfort, certain things I loved as a kid going to sporting events and tickets and, and my access to, um, you know, things that I loved and things that we shared. On the other hand, that those things were in conflict for him. He didn't love his work. He didn't feel he could be the honest man yeah. uh, that he wanted to be. So this, there's both, right? There's this grieving loss of things we're attached to. Uh, and yet there can be this greater discovery. And... You know, that's an opportunity, right? If we could see these scares or these wake-ups, awakenings, rather than as just stay in that fear-based brain and react. Connie's, I think her last name, Zewig, has a wonderful book out, and it talks about role to soul. So most people spend their lives living this role, like your father did, of this job, but not living from the soul. So if you can figure out a way to live your soul as your role, which is what you do and what I do, then you live an authentic, more fulfilling life. A lot of people wait till they say, well, I'm going to retire soon and then I will such and such. And then things happen. The body breaks down, the money runs out or whatever. So, um, and these days, what's interesting is that whether you have a degree or you don't, it doesn't seem to matter when it comes to a job. Right? So uh, you can create your own your own thing, you know, and, and make it work or make it not work. So, but you have to have the, I think the intention of, well, you need mind, what I call mindful awareness to know I'm unhappy and then to know why, and then to come up with a game plan. And if you have the intention and the determination to change, you will, but these come in, you know, my clients improve because I give them short goals, you know, call the yoga studio, you know, and if they don't call the yoga studio, they know I'm going to be after him. I want to know why, and it's going to be an hour. So they call the yoga studio and then they go to the yoga studio and they go, Oh, I really liked it. Or I didn't like it. I'm trying a different studio. So in, I think our society, we want quick fixes, but we have long and deep um, root systems to how we were raised and, and things like that. So, 
It's a balancing game. It's a, it's a daily game. You have to decide, you know, how much do you want to read about Putin today? Or, you know, what, what don't you want to do? You know? Right. That's a hard lesson that these things that are activating on the brain are being presented to us as, and they are important in the world. Right. And, and, you know, how much time do you want to engage in that? How much time do you want to engage in the relationship drama? in the conflict at work, right? How, how much do you want to give to it? Yeah, yeah, it's, self, it's the self-care thing. You know, I, I was out for a drink with a friend the other night who was telling me about his dating issues. And I was just thinking to myself, I am so glad I'm not him. You know, all these games and all this drama and stuff like that, you know. I come home and I have my dog and that's it, you know. <laughs> so it, I think... We have we have to choose. Well, first we need to be aware of what what makes us feel good and what doesn't, and then try to do what is better. The one big lesson that cancer taught me, and I had no even idea that it existed, was to be my own best friend. Because I was an eight, and I still am, I guess, an A type personality. So no matter how many times I have succeeded at something, okay, so now what? So now what? So now what? So when cancer comes along, which you have no control over, because it's something that has come, actually we have cancer in our bodies, but then it kind of comes, comes alive. What I discovered was compassion and empathy from medical people who I never had anything to do with. And I realized one day they care and they're more empathetic and sympathetic to me than I even knew how to be to myself. So I found myself one day walking through the, my own apartment and saying, we'll get through this, buddy. And for half a second, it was like, who am I talking to? But that's when the inner Kevin met the outer Kevin and said, you know, I'm, I'm there. And let's not stay in Kansas and talk about lymphectomies with these guys. Let's go to California. <laughs> and die like a <laughs> Right. I mean, it's that, that meta conversation with the self, right? Right? It comes up all the time, right? Your first relationship is, the, is to yourself. You know, how do you talk to yourself? Right? We don't notice, right? These little thoughts are, right? And looking for the confirming evidence that we're not worth it or not good enough. If that's what we have, unconscious beliefs that we may be repeating to ourselves or looking for confirming evidence because it yeah. fulfills that story. Yes. Yeah. You know, I have clients that say to me, yeah, but, you know, change is, I, I've been like this for a long time, and change is really hard. And the truth is that staying where you are is harder. Because when you get whiff of the change and you do it, and you say, oh, my God, I've left all that other crap behind. You know, like I, I never thought of myself as a cancer victim. It's just like I just refused to think that, that I was going to die from this. If I did feel I was going to die, you know, then I, I think I would know it. But I think I'll probably live into my 80s or 90s or something like that. But, um, it, you know, it, it's a matter of also faith and surrender, which gets back to spirituality. And I believe that if we do what we love and we love what we do, we'll thrive. I mean, I'm, I'm making more bucks doing this than I did in music, you know, and I'm having way more fun. You know, way more, um, and I'm connecting with the with with people, and I'm trusting that the right people are coming to me. I'll tell you a really interesting story. 
couple of years after I got to California and I was way past the marker for dying of cancer, I was at a stoplight and this thought came to me. It says, why did you survive a 70% chance of dying? And immediately the answer came to do the work you're doing. That was it. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about fame or anything like that. It was about sharing this experience with people and helping them realize their own potential and vulnerability and that there is, uh, there is an interconnection, which is, you know, it, it, it's the circuit breaker in life. <laughs> and it's fascinating. It's really fascinating because it's not religious. It can be found through Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, Peter, Paul, or Mary, or Jackson Brown. It doesn't matter. But when you find it, you connect to it, you get the juice, and then you, you find that that's really amazing. And then, like I said earlier, you find out that the quantum physics, Dr. Robert Lanza and all these other, even people as far back as Einstein, you know, Albert Einstein, they all say the same thing. And then you begin to look at your life from a different viewpoint. Like, well, what is important and what's real? And then you, you try it and it works. And another aha moment and that's the game. I'm laughing because I was at like high school parties reading a book by Alan Lightman called Einstein's Dreams. Mm -hmm. I'd be like in the, in the closet reading. I was so fascinated by this concept of alternate realities and being able to pause time or space-time relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's all interesting. Of course, there's the practical, you know, someone comes to you as a patient or, or client, they come with a problem. They don't want to know about quantum physics. They want to know how do I get out of this relationship or how do I get unstuck? You know, you can't tell them, well, there is no there, there, there is no you to get, they don't want to hear it. They can hear that. So you have to give them the practical and then you begin to prove it that they can lighten their load, you know, so it, it, it's a process. Yeah. So um, you mentioned like people re-sign up. Is it like a an eight-week program? Is it a four-month program? Is it groups? Like how do you how do you orchestrate it? Well, I don't do. I do. Uh, I'm beginning to work like at corporation, you know, with corporations and things like that. That's group. But I work one-on-one -on -one with people, and the first three months is getting to kind of know who you are, why, what matters. The next three months is applying that. And then the next, uh, well, I'll put it to this way. I've, I've had clients who've been with me for two and a half years because I keep coming up with new stuff that's fun and interesting and things like that. Um, I also don't take a lot of clients. I'm, you know, so if, like, if people go to my website, kevinroth.org, there's a form that you fill out because I want to work with people that um, I think I'm going to really help. You know, I, I recently had a woman come and ask me, you know, what I charge, and I gave her a ridiculously high number. And she said, okay, do you take PayPal? And I'm thinking, oh, shit. I said, no. I said, I have to look to see. So I, the money could be there, but I knew, I knew from talking to her for 15 minutes, she was not going to listen. She wanted to tell me. And I don't want to sit and listen and not be able to help. So... Um, Again, this is not about the money for me. It's, it's about working with the right people and uh, the right 
clients teach me a lot as well. You know, it's really interesting. So you fill out a form and then there's a free 30 minute consultation. We see if we're, you know, going to work together. I have no interest in being a rock star coach or, or anything like that. Although, although some who've been down a similar path to you may be drawn toward working with you. Yeah, I mean, like, whoever's meant to be is going to show up. You know, um, I recently did a podcast with a, a, a wonderful, wonderfully smart lady. And I just recognized it immediately. And now we're putting together a program where we're going to work with corporations together. She comes from the corporate world. You know, I, but then again, I also did a, a, a thing with a guy who has a podcast and he was brilliant. And I said, do you know how many listeners do you have? And he said, yeah, I, I think we're up to about 20. And I'm thinking, 20? That's all you have? But he, uh, you know, it, it was like, I still would love to work with him on some level because, you know, he has such a great level of interest. You know, it comes, re I'm just like another bozo on the bus, you know. The more I know, the less I, <laughs> I know. Uh, but I do know that I'm, I help people because they tell me that. And people aren't going to repay you for something that they're not happy with. And that's good. That means I can pay my rent. <laughs> are you doing it face to face? Are you doing it Zoom? Is it global? Like well, it's Zoom. Um, I talk to people all over the world. My clients are not over the world. The podcasts have been as far away as Australia. Um, I like it over Zoom, you know, um, and uh, that's what COVID. All of this started for me right before COVID. Almost, almost right at the time of COVID. So it was kind of convenient that, that the Zoom thing happened. But I do in person, coming from a concert background, what I call a musical TED talk. I tell my story because I'm a good storyteller being a songwriter. Uh, and then I add music at the end. Wow. So, yeah. So it's like a musical. Someone said that to me. It's like a musical TED talk, dude. And then I do a workshop and, you know, you come and I explain. I have a course on Teachable, uh, creating a life you love or something like that. I forget what it's called. <laughs> but uh, it, it has eight modules. So I basically have a workbook that I go through the eight modules with people live. And it gives them something to think about. And I'm writing wow. a book. I'm writing a book now called The Longing. The Longing. Wow. Yeah. I, my, my theory on it is that we're all looking to get back to this thing, call it God or Jesus or the absolute, because I'm fascinated with near-death experiences and everyone that I've watched, and these are from doctors and surgeons, I mean, professionally intelligent people who have died and had this experience, Ebner Alexander and people like that, all talk about feeling like they're home. So if we come from that home, and we're here wanting experiences that we think are going to give us happiness, like people, places, and things. We find out that they don't really, or they're temporary. Um, a lot of people are waiting to kind of die and get back to that feeling of home. So my theory is that that home is actually can be here. If you think about it, if you contemplate it enough, you'll find out that what you're searching is like a fish in the ocean looking for water. So that's what the longing is. So my Finding the spirit within themselves and in their current life. Yeah, it comes back down to the question, who are you? You know, 
you know, where did you come from? Well, my parents had sex. I was born. I said, seriously, is that really what happened? I mean, I know that's what physically happened, but how does that happen? But people don't want to look at that. It's frightening. It's frightening. That's why people are afraid of death. Well, where am I going to go? Well, where'd you come from? You know, you're 99.999% empty. You're, you're atoms, right? So you're empty. So what are you? You're this experience. Well, what's the experience? You know, is it real? Is it not real? And then you get into the quantum physics things, and then it blows people's minds, and they don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's easier just to eat or drink or smoke or have sex or just get through the day. But for someone like myself, who's spiritually inquisitive and been through enough psychotherapy in my life to know uh, that, well, that was interesting. Um, and being presented with death at my door, I wanted to know, well, what's all this about? It wasn't about my record albums or my tours or the money or anything like that. You know, who am I? What's going on here? Well, well, I'm glad to be in your acquaintance. And I'm glad, uh, you know, I mean, I know Gabor Mate talks a lot about, you know, people take these near-death experiences and oftentimes they don't always choose life. They choose the roles they've already been in. They, they feel so tied to being a people pleaser or taking care of others. And it's, it's really hard to learn these skills, to live your own life, to find your own purpose. And I'm glad that, you know, you're out there, you know, showing people that it doesn't have to be a death sentence, right? It can be renewal. It can be a new lease on life. Yeah, it, it's the choices that you make. Like I said earlier, you have to know what don't you want? What do you want to get rid of in your life? And then make the changes. And you can live without living in a five-bedroom house. You can live without driving a Lamborghini. You know, there's a movie, I don't know whether you know about it, I forget the name of it, but it's about a guy who's very, very rich, inherited his family business, alcoholic and wife, lousy wife and kids spoiled, and he drives his car into, a, his Lamborghini into a tree, and he ends up in a coma for a couple of weeks, and when he wakes up, uh, he has complete amnesia, he doesn't remember who he is, what his life was or anything like that, and be, so he has counseling that comes and says look Richard this is who you are and they prove it to him and he's aghast he's aghast he said you know oh my god and he becomes a missionary now his wife and his family and his business all try and sue him because they think oh he's pulling this missionary crap to get legally out of paying me but he literally becomes a missionary because he cannot accept the fact of who this guy was and it was a fascinating film because he had a, he literally not just woke up from coma, but he woke up spiritually and he had like a second kind of life. So when people hit bottom, like a death sentence or God forbid they, they lose a child or something really, really tragic, it shifts your reality. It, it, asks, it asks you to ask yourself deeper questions. And if you find the right answers, you're relieved. There's a lot of joy in finding your place i think that's my sermon for a friday dude <laughs> <laughs> well uh thank you for joining me kevin tell us tell the listeners how they can reach you how they can find you social media 
they want to book you for a musical TED Talk or a podcast? <laughs> well, the best way is just through my website, kevinroth.org. I don't do a lot of social media stuff. I'm not a Twitter guy or Instagram or anything. I uh, have a Facebook account, Kevin Roth. I'm on there with my dog. Um, Can they hear you playing music on there? Or is that... Well, I have a lot of YouTube videos. Yeah, I have a lot of albums. If you go to uh, Amazon or iTunes, you know, there's all my record albums are up there. There's one called Dulcy Meditation, which is all dulcimer instrumental with the backdrop of the rain. Wow. Yeah, people really like that. Okay. If they want to buy try that one. Yeah, they contact me to buy dulcimers and, you know. So I'm I'm findable. Findable, yes, and probably without knowing it, we've heard your music on PBS or across across our journeys. Yeah, well, millions and millions of people watch that show, Shining Time Station, with Ringo Starr as the conductor. So they they were lullabied to my uh, my music as the theme. Well, thank you, everyone, and to Kevin Roth for joining me today on my podcast and teaching us. Uh, with humility about being a survivor, how to face life-altering news, and how to be your best self and recreate your version of life, your story of your life. Uh, Kevin is a life coach. He is available for consultation and for designing your life and telling the story you want to create towards happiness. Uh, again, I'm Richard Listens, clinical psychologist. If you or someone you know, need help, please reach out to me. If you haven't already, please download my book or pre-order one for you and your loved ones on Amazon, The Zero Method, Awaken the Hero Within. Thank you all. Have a great day. I'm Richard, and I'm out.